Never, cried the clay, before it was coned into a handmade Everest. Always, promised the paint on Cezanne's bathers, before chipping and fading ever paler. But what, shout we, failure, to that which dares, and blossoms hope on all who stare? And am I to tie myself in ribbons, and hope the breeze might sway me outwards? No, the heartwood's blood would thicken, like heavy pink air. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soul Scene. This week, we're going to be talking about how to make change. That was a very beautiful poem, Erin. Thank you. I would agree with you for like the first two thirds of it, and then I didn't really know how to end it, and it was kind of late last night, so I just said, heavy pink air. But you know what? I'll let the readers come to their own conclusion about that. Yeah. So why are we doing this final Lucy Goosey episode? Well, most of Solo Scene, as long-time listeners would know, and new-time listeners are just finding out, is about painting pleasant pictures of a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. It's kind of, it's kind of like a fantastical roadmap, mm-hmm. you would say. This is like the point B that we're describing for what everybody's efforts should always be inclined towards, or at least what ours should be. Because I think it's kind of like a personal endeavor. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's giving us an outlet for imagining solutions to the problems that we're encountered with seven days a week. Yeah, but what we almost never touch on on Solocene almost deliberately is how to actually enact these solutions, how to actually get from the point A to the point B. And we thought that today would be a fun little like diversion episode to just kind of chat about that before we start a whole new semester next week. Absolutely. And yeah, the vision for Solocene comes from a observation that we had that often movements in the climate sphere, but in other spheres as well, they'll protest and they're just kind of like shouting all of the issues. They're like, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. Everyone is disconnected. Yeah. We're mean to people. It's like, but what's your solution? Yeah. So this is a podcast that once a week you can have a respite from all of the issues <laughs> and just see solutions kind of presented and then it's your job as a listener and as a solicite, Aaron and I also, it's our job the rest of the week yeah. to find ways to achieve these things. Basically, it's really easy to be against things. Yeah. But like sometimes it's a lot harder to, to articulate what you are actually for. So that's kind of what the solo scene is mm-hmm. embodying. Yeah. And for people who really want to embody it, we have zines, handmade paper, solo scene zines. There's one for degrowth, one for education one for nature and one for the internet. Those are the semesters that we've covered so far. And you can buy them through the link in our description. And you can also email us through there because we really like receiving hate mail. Or I do anyway. <laughs> I really don't. I say that all the time, don't I? Yeah, you I think do. it's funny, but I guess it's not that funny anymore. Because if you get hate mail, then I always take it personally. Yeah. If so, you I did. mean, so do I, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to start off with regards how to make change, it's such a broad kind of general subject I thought I would start with the most Solocene principle, the golden rule, if you will, which is three adjectives. You want to guess what they are? Beautiful, sustainable, tactile? Yeah, that's kind of our, our slogan for the Solocene. So I thought that any method by which somebody wants to enact change to bring about more of a Solocene should be itself have those qualities of what you're trying to bring about, if that makes sense. I was trying to find some like old philosophical quote about this because I think there is something about like the thing usually manifests in its making. Mm. I guess that's basically what I'm trying to say. So it's kind of like however you are trying to bring about your own 
betterment of the world, the method should be better. If yeah. that makes sense. Like you can't bring about something really beautiful in an ugly way. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I think so. And it's like being alive, the journey is the thing. Yeah. It's like even if you worked your whole life, like you have to be enjoying it. It has to be I mean, that's kind of the sustainability aspect of it, not just like the ecological sustainability, but just like the the longevity of it. Mm -hmm. Because if you're beating a dead horse, it's going to get repetitive and you're going to get burnt out. And this is like one of the biggest traps that people trying to make change fall into is just seeing someone else and it's like it's working for them. So I need to do the same thing and then yeah. just try and do it and it's it's also like a bit of a, these are so many idioms all at once, <laughs> but it's a bit of a broken clock in that like you see them and you're like, oh, they're making success. But it's like usually, even if it's a bad tactic, it'll work once in a while. Mm. And it's just like avoiding those types of things. The blind squirrel finds a nut. Yeah. That's, that's something as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Case in point, our so was seen endeavors on social media. Yeah. Let's be honest. And I, the other example I had was kind of when I write, if I'm writing the mood and circumstances in which I'm writing will inevitably affect the the product itself. So it's like if I'm writing and I feel really kind of emotional or like sad that day, and even if I'm trying to write a joyous scene, it will be colored by that kind of melancholy and vice versa. It's like if you try and write something while you're angry, like it's going to turn out a certain way. And it doesn't even have to be art. It can be pretty much whatever you do. Mm -hmm. And I think we so often fall into this trap. Like I picture politicians who maybe start out very idealistic or like all those movies about the the um, naive rookie cop who really wants to make change <laughs> yeah but then they slowly start to adopt maybe the more corrupt or um, cutting corners methods of the institution mm. and even though their intentions at the start are pure through those through the methods you know the the ethics kind of change often yeah you know what I mean so it's like we're not immune to our circumstances like that. So we should try and, even if it seems inconsequential, we should try and, you know, even for the sake of our own conscience, embody those beliefs to which we, we're striving. Yeah, I really agree with that because I think especially when it comes to acting on something that you're passionate about, you might sometimes feel inclined to act in a way that is unaligned with your values. Exactly. To make, like, the ends like to make the end it justifies the means as we yeah, say exactly but what i have written down is that <laughs> it's always the villains who say things like that it like is. it's always the villains who say things like you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs yeah it's like it's never the heroes who say that because mm -hmm. the heroes know that every egg is important yeah of course and it's like yeah we're not gonna be like eco terrorists and like hmm. burning down corporations or anything like that because it's like really that is unaligned with the values and it's like, it could be technically effective and like making a scene and stuff, but it's like, you have to be a bit more stoic and a bit more like, yeah, good. This really. gets into, I guess, you know, less about social change, but about personal transformation, which I think is, you know, it can be argued that they're this one and the same thing. Yeah. But what I've written down is basically just, we are what we do, which is what I try and basically like, if I have one mantra for my life, I think it's that. Mm -hmm. So it's like what we just said if you have intentions that are very pure but you try and go about them through let's say um unethical methods and even an onlooker might say well yeah he's not like that but he's just doing that you know mm -hmm. for the time being but it's like if someone does that then they are that yeah and absolutely. i also had a quote 
which said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. By um, Jesus. That's Jesus, Jesus um, yeah. <laughs> Christ. Because I think he just came to mind for this episode about making change. Because again, that, that question of individual transformation versus you know wider social ramifications, I feel like the Bible is like, or the New Testament specifically, is kind of a, a really interesting case study for that, however much belief you have in it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think that it's often good to look towards a more, a broader vision of what you want and like, how am I trying to say this? Looking to like the Bible or looking to historical examples of like huge reform or reformation yeah. or revolution. It's like looking at the biggest picture of that and being like, yeah, there were tiny little pockets of people who were just like silently protesting there were tiny pockets of people who were like actively out there making connections like when you look at the picture the big picture of historical change it's good to inform your everyday things because like every day you can only do one thing at a time but it's like looking to those as examples of like how you fit into your current project because there is no actual roadmap for change yeah but there are really great case studies I have written down just the open-ended question, is it enough to change oneself? I've definitely believed that. Do you think so? I think... Like Michael Jackson says, the man in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, I say I definitely believe that. Treating that as the end goal, if you have more capacity, is a bit, not selfish, but it's a bit closed-minded in thinking that you are just yourself like that you can only like become vegan and that's like all you can do like i think it's maybe a, a bit of a trite discussion just yeah. because it seems almost inherently circular and you can yeah. make arguments both ways and you know we have other things to talk about but i think two weeks ago when we talked about life in five senses i opened the poem that said looking out is looking in whoa mm -hmm. and um i think it's kind of like that where you can view activism volunteering, politics, whatever it is, charity, as means of improving yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, if my sole goal was a selfish one, let's say like bringing back to Jesus, I was like, I want to get into heaven. Yeah. And that's like a selfish ambition, let's say. It's like, how do I do this? Okay, I'll volunteer here, here, here. Mm -hmm. I'll feed the hungry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll build houses for people. It's like, mm -hmm. well, you're doing good things. It's yeah. bettering yourself and it's bettering society yeah and i think it's just there's different personalities and some people the kind of more egotistical <laughs> approach like it's going to get to the same end and it's like yeah. i mean that sounds so harsh but I, like some people just like that is their their way yeah. of thinking about things and we all have a bit of that in us of the kind of selfishness yeah and some people are just gonna be like i'm going to do this for a bit more of a meta reason of like i want to just be kind or like right i don't know that it matters that much the most like as long as somebody does it it's yeah. like, let's say someone volunteers at a food bank mm -hmm. just because they have a crush on someone else who works there. Yeah. It doesn't really matter that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's what you said. Like you are measured by your actions. Yeah. Like your motivations might be selfish or they might be like <laughs> ulterior. It might just be like, like, I want to practice chopping onions. Yeah. But it's like, if you look at the person and they're volunteering in the food bank, it's like, that's their actions. That's how yeah. it's manifesting. It's not manifesting as staring at themselves in the mirror all day or mm -hmm. whatever it may be. So... That's cool. 
Because I was thinking about that yesterday just in regards to like everything we do. Like literally I was like, I want like I wonder what percentage of people get jobs in like different sectors for personal versus selfless, like intrinsic versus yes, extrinsic yeah. reasons that they might get different jobs and just it really applies to everything. And we all have a balance of both because it's like even with my jobs, it's like there's the part of you that's like literally just there for the money and just mm-hmm. there to like feed yourself and feed your family. Then there's the other part of you that's like, well, I'm learning stuff and I'm building connections. Like, I think we all have a bit of a balance with both when it comes to change making. And that's okay. Yeah. And you also, I think a barrier that we often have when it comes to volunteering or it comes to making change is that we feel like we need to have like the purest intentions before going into it. That's a common thing again with the church that people feel like they can't go to church unless they're like flawless. But it's like, you're doing things like you're going to church or you're going to volunteer. And it's like, this is just like some, some allegory about like the sword being sharpened. Yeah. Not even able to articulate it right now, but something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it kind of needs to be dull. Speaking of dull. The organism organism of of the the week week. (laughs) (laughs) is if anyone's um, viewing, you can pause the video now and guess what this is in the comments. I think they know by the color of it. Yeah, they can probably tell. Um, the organism of the week is the carrot. And Aaron and I bought a bag of carrots and it had this little twisty carrot in it. It's two of them twisted together, showing it on the YouTube video. But it, everyone knows what a carrot looks like, but this is two of them yeah. twisted together. It's like a conjoined carrot. Yeah. Reminded me of you and I, actually. We are conjoined carrots. Also, the root vegetable theme continues. I broke it up with a sponge, but now we've had the <laughs> that weird onion wand. Yeah. And this and the potato. Mm-hmm. So. It's just kind of on our minds. Yeah. <laughs> Two hungry people. So obviously the carrot is traditionally orange in our mind, but they also come in purple, black, red, white, and yellow varieties. They are the domesticated form of the wild carrot. If you ever see, I think it's called Queen Anne's Lace, like for anyone who knows like wild plants, flowers that look like that, in the wild, if you pull them, they are related to carrots and the roots sometimes have like a carrot on them. Hmm. Like, but because they're not domesticated, they, some of them just have like normal size roots, but some of them have a bit more bulbous and you can eat them. Yeah. It's a fun little fact. And they were originally cultivated for their leaves and for their seeds. And you and I have made, I think it was, is that green stuff? Pesto with carrot leaves. And... They taste just like leaves, like, yeah. as you can imagine. Pesto is, I just couldn't remember the name of it. Um, so, yeah, and the orange part that we eat is called the taproot right. originally, but that was a bit more fibrous. Uh-huh. So, they've been cultivated to be a bit more soft. Probably one of my favorite foods, period. Yeah, absolutely. This I eat carrots every single day. Such a significant <laughs> organism of the week. Mm-hmm. Can't be overstated. Rudolph, did you used to do that? No. You didn't leave a carrot for the reindeers? Oh, yes. We yeah, did leave course. a carrot for the reindeers. Of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> carrot juice. Remember my phase with that? You did have a phase. Do you think it's really good for your eyes? So that was my final closing anecdote. Okay. Is that that was invented during World War II to trick the Germans <laughs> into thinking that the British just had really good eyesight and not that oh. they had developed radar. <laughs> right. 
So I remember when I learned that fact, I just like told everyone because it blew my mind because I really thought carrots were good for your sight. I have an immense level of placebo then because every time I drink carrot juice, I literally <laughs> feel like I'm seeing in, in 5D for the first time. Yeah, so <laughs> that's just placebo. Like there's yeah. quite literally no correlations. Like they're high in vitamins and stuff, which is like good for your body, but it's not yeah. going to make you see in the dark. Carrots and hummus. Yeah. Also that one trident carrot that I found. Carrots just have a propensity for taking up weird shapes, I guess. They do. I mean, like, the carrots that we eat are highly, like, cultivated to look like that. Sure. In nature, they are a lot more wiggly-wobbly. So another point about making change I have, I just wrote down people. Because I think when change is made, it is never just one person. There's always a group. I mean, it might be one person that's most prominent. It might be one person that begins it. But by the end of it, you know, by definition, it can't be just one person because they'll have made change. Yeah. So um, this can be people hired. It can be people who vote for you. It can be people who uh, you're just friendly with, people you've enslaved. Like It could be anything. <laughs> it could be, like <laughs> yeah, through history. So um, I think kind of the, the point of this is that you need to have something to offer people. Mm -hmm. So people need to see something in it. And that could be resources, i.e. they could just be being paid by you. Yeah. Or... It could be more ideas, which I think is the more Solocene concept because the Solocene itself is an idea. And so I think for this also, it means that you need to be a good communicator. Like I mentioned Jesus, and obviously he was a, a very nice person, at least so the Bible describes. Mm -hmm. But he was also, like his second gift is just being a really good communicator. Yeah. Like it never really describes Jesus misspeaking. Yeah. Or like he never stumbles over his words or you don't hear Jesus say like very often. <laughs> and he just comes up with these with these uh, parables on the off the cuff, seemingly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so be more like Jesus in his public speaking. Literally, I don't think that gets no. talked about enough. It's like, true. Let's say he was exactly the same person and really perfect ethically and all that kind of stuff, but he was just like he mumbled. Yeah. <laughs> then he's never going to get people like standing around. It's true. Listening. Moses infamously had a lisp. Did he? Speech impediment. Yeah. Oh, and he did but get yeah, people. Could still. Oh but because he had the power. Yeah, the rod. Yeah. I think he had a rod. Um, <laughs> so there are stages of any movement, and I feel like this is a good time to talk about them because the first stage is like emergence. So as you're saying, it could just be one person. But like any movement has to have the other stages. And the second one is coalescence, which is when you recruit people. Right. And so like I think we often either try and skip this and just like do everything ourselves or we get hung up on this a bit. And then the third step is bureaucratization. So like making things more bureaucratic. So like maybe there's people who are being paid now. Maybe there's people who are like, there's a hierarchy. And then the final stage of a movement is decline. And... <laughs> Doesn't sound very good. <laughs> no. Because I was just like expecting something a bit more exciting. But it's just like, these are just like how they go. Well, this is just describing what happens. Yeah. But not ideally kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in those two middle steps, like the recruitment and then the kind of institutionalization are kind of like, we can almost get stuck in those two as like an avoidance of like the actual issue, like the original emergence and like passion can get caught up in these two of like, mm -hmm. maybe you're just trying to have like the most numbers. So that might not necessarily be the most effective. Yeah. Well, this is what happens almost always in politics, right? Yeah. Like, even if there was, there isn't, but even if there was a really exciting, solar scene political party in Canada, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. it's like they had this sweeping grassroots campaign with a bunch of people you know new to politics who were the faces of it and they you really felt like they were going to make change and by some miracle they got voted into power yeah it's like within three years it would start to resemble more and more the old parties i think that's what it means by kind of the bureaucratization of it yeah and the inevitable decline that follows that mm-hmm. so i think it's yeah it's something like structures and institutions almost funnel towards passivity corruption inertia in a sense yeah and i was reminded in preparation for this episode of the book that we actually are only ever interview which was like not the best quality sound wise but we did an interview with two of the editors and authors of the book called degrowth and strategy oh, yes which was one of my favorite books to ever read about making change because there's portions of it that are just like case studies but the degrowth movement's approach to change is just like it's really unique Hmm. in that they from the outset they know the issues they know that if you get too bureaucratic or too hierarchical it'll collapse people will feel alienated yeah that it always has to be like this movement and their goals are like fixing climate change and social inequity but it's like they knew from the beginning that like a large institution isn't going to work. So it always has to just be degrowth Vienna, degrowth Montreal, degrowth Vancouver. Like it has to just be small. And then they can interact because interacting between groups is great. Yeah. But it's like they kind of have skipped those middle steps and just being like they don't publicize it. They don't recruit really. It's just like people kind of come to the movement. And I think it's almost staying in the emergence phase in a good way. And as to avoid the inevitable decline because everyone's still really fired up about it and passionate because it hasn't gotten too bogged down. Yeah, I'm reminded even like this is a a bit of an esoteric comparison but or a dumb one. In sports, it's like if a team is winning and they're, let's say, a young team or whatever, Mm -hmm. the the so-so common mistake is just to try and, as they say in America, run it back, which means just do it again. Yeah. Whereas really what you should do is try and change as much if not more than all the teams below you that are chasing you because like otherwise caught. you stagnate right yeah it's like you're either improving or you're or you're stagnating and i should, should mention as well what i said about like politics and i think large governments and large institutions maybe in general tending towards inertia and passivity and and corruption i don't think that means that it they are worthless i don't like i don't think that would make that young upstart political party you know, just a tragic tale, I think, because it would still be worth it because they'll have still budged things a little bit towards, you know, towards the solar scene or whatever they're trying to trying to create, which is kind of my next point, which is about incrementalism versus more holistic mm-hmm. visions of change. You can also phrase this as like change meaning progress or change meaning a new direction. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like the latter, I think, is more romantic and more exciting for people it's like this is a whole new direction this is mm-hmm. a whole new vision for the world or for this industry or for the school board or for this company revolution. or whatever it may be yeah revolution rather than evolution right? Mm-hmm. right like that's the that's the term but i think for one thing we tend to falsely claim revolution often when there isn't any yeah when really it will have been a more marginal change than we we like to admit you know what I mean? So it's like if there's some some small change in an industry, everyone's quick like, "Wow, this is revolutionary!" And it's like when you zoom out far enough, it kind of it's just like a it's a step forward. It's yeah. a change. It's not like a step in a 
it's not like a massive sidestep into a different direction yeah usually yeah and i think we're like afraid of admitting that things are just incremental because it's like if you came in say again the political party example like we're gonna implement marxism like we're gonna make everything communist it's like that's just like such a huge jump from like where canada for example is but it's like if someone came in they're like we need to like fix the healthcare system and maybe like do better with like paying off student debt and stuff right it's like that is socialist policy so it is going in the direction i mean i'm not a communist but this is just an example of like going in the direction of communism but it's because no one wants to just be like yeah people like drastic things yeah is what we're saying people like drastic things and they don't like to say as we we're fond of saying so it's you know like slightly ahead of the curve yeah it's like (laughs) we want to say that someone like wow they're there's a generation ahead or like he's living in 2033 yeah so like really he's more like two two years ahead of yeah. the curve or whatever exactly um, that's why i think with solar scene it's like most of the things that we say are just quite popular things yeah but saying them all together and you know in a lovely way and you know some original ideas as well but like it's not like the wildest ideas usually i mean sometimes i go a little bit off the deep end yeah. and that's fine so i think in the solar scene yeah we should celebrate increments more and i also think that at different points in your life you'll be working towards different types of change so like sometimes you'll be really wanting to flip something upside down just because that's like the idea that you have but sometimes you'll be happy to like reduce emissions by three percent for the month like that'll be a great thing yeah rather than be like we need to cut it by 90 percent yeah absolutely because it's like going cold turkey on anything is unsustainable yeah which goes against the solacine philosophy another point on this i have is that similar to when we kind of ragged on motivational speakers and life coaches who are just motivational speakers Mm -hmm. you know and that's their profession and it's like that's all they've trained to do i think that not to be too kind of judgmental or disparaging but i notice a lot of people who are capital c change makers (laughs) and it's like that's not a thing it's true. You know what I mean? Like your profession can't be I revolutionize. Yeah. It's like you need to have something. Yeah, like you have to be like Martin Luther King and like he was a pastor and then he was Martin Luther King. Sure. You're like Aaron. I am a writer? Yeah, sure. And then you're also a change maker. You think? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't I hope not. Cuz I feel like it's only of a magazine to use that word, you know what I mean? Well, you are a like time a movement specialist. 30 under 30. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> so besides Jesus, I had uh, five other examples of people, organizations I wanted to talk about. Not all as so seen visions of change makers, but just people who I thought were, like they represent different um, successes or failures and we could kind of chat about them. So the first one is Just Stop Oil. Okay. Which I didn't realize was only founded last year. It was Just founded in February oil. 2022. Huh. So it's the UK group that are always in the news for like gluing themselves to paintings and stopping traffic by doing these really slow walking uh, <laughs> marches. Or they've thrown soup on some paintings, threw soup on a, uh, on a Van Gogh. Okay. Quite notably. since So yeah, since last year, they've had over 2,100 arrests. So oh my goodness. I guess that's, that's wow. a good thing. Uh, they also run onto like football pitches to try and stop matches. So pretty much it's like stunt activism to try mm-hmm. and get in the news and stuff. And like yeah. this, this, I would, I guess you'd call it non-violent civil uh, dissidence or civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. 
So what do we think about Just Stop Oil? Is that sourcing practices? Uh, I've always felt weird about this group in particular. Yeah. Just because of, <laughs> like, it seems a bit too stunty hmm. in that it almost disregards the fact that climate action is, like, integrated in all other aspects of society. Like, it's integrated into art, politics, economics, social life. It's not just stopping oil. Like, we would need to change our mindset quite a lot. So, you're more like just slow oil. That would be your, like, rephrasing of it? I mean, like, it's a fine, it's a nice, bold, clear statement. And, like, I'm not going to be mad if oil stopped. But it's, like, it's a bit too one-minded. And I think successful activism is a bit more holistic in that it does all the different levels. I would say that this one is not very so seen and also not very successful. Because yeah. I feel like it just makes people angry. Yeah. Like it just makes people hate climate protesters. It doesn't make people say, oh, we should listen to them. It just makes people say, oh, they should be thrown in prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it almost seems like a false flag, like put about by a shell or something to try and make people, like to try and make people detest climate action. Because if I was... If I witness someone throw anything at a piece of art, yeah. and it could be like a pretty minor piece of art, I'd be like, that's just kind of rude. Like, they'd say, kind of, oh, so you're angry at this? You should be angry at Yeah, oil. But it's like, I am angry at oil, yeah. but this is also just disrespectful in a different way. So that's my thoughts on that one. It's difficult with, with protests, especially about something like that, because, because almost all protests don't work, mm-hmm. and they, they don't even get to the point of being covered by the media. So they would say it's a success because we even know about this. It's true, yeah. But I would say it's a success. It's a it's a failure because it's mostly lowering the image of environmentalism. Like I could see yeah. this making someone by spite, like want to buy a more like gas hungry <laughs> truck. I could see because it's just like to spite these libs. <laughs> I said it. Yeah, he said it. I think. I mean, from my reading, protests are effective i thought they were very ineffective but it's just like you have to be consistent with them and you have to be respectful like for example sit-ins in the 1960s in like the american south they made the cities that there were sit-ins in five times more likely to adopt desegregation practices so it's like if you're consistent and if you're like generally peaceful like there were arrests countless arrests in this case as well but it's like it wasn't like sullying the image. It wasn't like, oh, look at those people sitting. It's just right. like they were being peaceful and like yeah, making their point. Is there a case we made that people have become desensitized to protests? That's very possible. Because I feel yeah. like that, I mean, I don't know that there actually are more, more per capita protests than let's say in the 1800s. There probably mm-hmm. aren't, but we know more about them because of mm-hmm. like every day it's a different trending hashtag. Yeah. So like the other day I went downtown and there was like this huge protest on the streets and sidewalks and people blaring music and all wearing the same color shirt. And I was like, I don't have the energy for this because there's like, there's so many different, different rallying cries and different causes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they're not very consistent. It's like once a year, there's like the climate march once a year. Hmm. And like the other day there was a bike protest where they shut down the whole street next to us. Like people on their bikes stopped saying like make a bike lane on the street basically i thought that was great and clear but it's like doing it one day getting one news story isn't gonna make it work i guess there's also something to be said about the kind of i don't know if you'd call it like a family friendly thing but it seems like these protests are 
for for a lot of the people, and maybe this has always been the case through history, but they're just like events. Yeah. They're just like it's like, well, we could go to a movie. Actually, let's go to that bike protest. It's true. You know what I mean? I mean, but this has probably always been the case that there's a fifteen or twenty percent of people who are heartily shouting it, and the rest are just just audience. Yeah, it's true. But I do think that kind of softens it. Yeah, quite a lot. I'm also reminded from the Just Stop Oil people of in the 70s, the activist in Montreal who got it to be so bike friendly. Mm. He was like basically a one man army and he had a few friends who were like pulling stunts, but they were like kind of silly stunts of like bringing a cardboard cut out of an elephant on the metro saying, if I can bring this, why can't I bring my bike? Yeah. And just like similar things of like shutting down streets on bikes, but it was consistent, respectful. And do you think it would work today? I think it would, but it would have to be like you have to kind of. I think consistency is really important when it yeah, comes I think to consistency these types of things. Well. It just seems like every every day there's someone new on Instagram, like trying or Twitter, trying to go viral by doing something crazy like that. Yeah. Like I can imagine being in high school today. It was a little bit while we were there, but like even mm-hmm. today, it's like probably eighty percent of the class is like involved in social justice or social mm-hmm. actions. But it's like it becomes basically it's this once it becomes the norm and it's not really going anywhere you know what i mean Mm -hmm. which is just kind of an unfortunate phenomenon i guess yeah so my second example was walt disney and kind of the point of this is specifically regarding animation the animation industry slash art form it's just like making something so good that it becomes Mm. a whole industry or a whole art form i know he didn't create it but he pioneered it basically yeah I also didn't know that he voiced Mickey Mouse in the early ones. Uh, I did, did know that, yeah. but right. <laughs> I, I think that is a really great point of like just being so good that no one can like question it. And it's obviously especially hard today to stand out because I'm sure there's countless artists and thinkers out there that just kind of get lost. Yeah, And perhaps I feel like people who have that kind of mindset that non-economic mindset. Like, obviously, Walt Disney was a great businessman. Yeah. But people who are just, art, just in air quotes, artistic or philosophical, it's like they don't have that business inclination that you almost need to make your ideas stand out, which is a, a shame. I mean, I don't really have a solution for that, but it is a shame. Um, the third one is Jacques Cousteau. Okay. Which, for people who don't know, he was a French oceanographer who I also didn't know this, he co-invented the first scuba. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, Yeah, which is pretty crazy. But he made a film called The Silent Worlds, which was kind of a proto-Planet Earth documentary. I think it was the first ever color footage of Under the Water. Wow. So it was was a very big deal. It was the first documentary to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 1956. And I just think you can trace that lineage I mean, this is like, these are my interests, obviously. Like, these are the change makers and things that I'm interested in. But, you know, it's not an insignificant lineage from this to the Planet Earth documentaries to um, we just watched Fire of Love last year, the National mm-hmm. Geographic one about the two volcanologists and even like The Life Aquatic, that film we really like. And just like the whole the whole premise of nature documentary, I think, can, mm. can owe a lot to him. Yeah, so, I think so. And again, this is about like, I guess just passion and talent. And I think that's that's inspiring. Yeah, like devoting your life to something. I don't think everybody needs to devote their life to a cause, but it's like if that's what you 
if that's what you want like you really have to kind of make it your whole person and like Jacques Cousteau is a great example like he was very prolific like he just records everything and he co-founds the scuba suit yeah. and, but also is just making movies yeah. like that's his. it reminds me a little bit of um the guy who started Patagonia Schwinard <laughs> yeah that when we did the episode about that it was like evoking similar similar memories mm-hmm. and then fourth person I wanted to highlight Gertrude Stein who was an author poet from the 1920s and she had basically a salon in mm-hmm. Paris featuring a bunch of other modernists. So it's like yeah. this network of people. There was Picasso and Fitzgerald and um, like Hemingway and Matisse. And she herself was a an interesting writer, that's for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, the only book of hers I read was Tender Buttons, which I think is the most radical. And again, for people who don't know, it's kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like if you read, if you find an excerpt online or something, you, it's just like, it's just, not just like, but there's a, it doesn't, it doesn't abide by common grammatical laws nor like narrative uh, conventions of plot story and character let's put it that way mm-hmm. and um i thought this was even interesting we can kind of draw a wider parallel from this in terms of shifting the overton window let's say in politics or just in how things are done because it's like with tender buttons it's such a rad- radical presentation of of language mm. um and also with a lot of like the cubism like the art stuff at the time or high fashion let's say like on the runway where it's like they're just presenting exaggerated ideas of what will kind of filter down to being actually wearable and fashionable. Yeah. It reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah. So it's like sometimes if you want to be really radical, you can present something that's even more amplified than what you really believe. Mm. And then in doing so you shift the, the what's accepted just a little bit towards Mm. that direction. I think that's an excellent point. It's basically what we, strive to do like we don't necessarily think they'll be underwater cities in 50 years but like pushing that idea or some something kind of silly but like showing people a direction and then let their minds kind of because their minds will automatically be realistic about stuff like you're Mm -hmm. not going to read tender buttons and be fully abstract you're going to try and make sense of it yes that's a good point so i think just like letting, like trusting that that's how human brains work. Yeah. There was a good quote that she had about that, that abstraction. She said it's, um, it's writing designed to evoke the excitingness of pure being. Mm. And I thought that was kind of. That is nice. I also like the idea of a salon as a way of making yeah. change. Yeah. That's another part of the Solacene vision. So it's really. about what I was saying about people. It's like surrounding yourself with people who are um, not just like minded, but sometimes maybe more talented than you. Yeah, and people who have just like differing ideas like she's a writer but she's surrounding herself with artists and it's like you can kind of have these collectives that make change and this is a big part of the degrowth and strategy book as well of saying like don't be in a bubble and I feel like it's really easy to get into a bubble of like when you're trying to make change like you're all your friends are climate activists so even I've fallen into this trap of thinking well, everyone cares about the climate. Yeah. But it's like no one does except for you and your 15 friends. That's why I should learn from Jesus. Go yeah. to the sinners. Go to the brothel. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode. <laughs> uh, and then the final one I wanted to highlight was PBS. Mm-hmm. Just for not much more reason than I love PBS. I think they are just, it's just like a great example of bringing culture and entertainment and education to a lot of people especially a lot of kids 
who can't afford or couldn't afford television. Because I guess now there's the internet. Mm -hmm. But PBS, it felt like it was kind of the internet before the internet. Yeah. Like we were just flicking through channels one time and I was like, let's see what's on PBS. And it was just like this Broadway play. Yeah. And we don't know. We were just like, let's watch it. Yeah. And it's like, it's something that you would never watch. So I like that. It always felt kind of curated. And I really liked mm -hmm. that. That, and it's uh, it's publicly funded. I just I love PBS. It's wholesome. You know what I mean? It is. And it's just always had this weird, like, magical quality to it. I don't even know why. There's just something about PBS. It stands out. Like, it's not bought out. Like, it yeah. hasn't sold out. It's just, it is still publicly funded. And yeah. it's like you're not being subjected to a bunch of, like, garbage <laughs> commercials about Mr. Clean. Like, Instead, it's like, just... garbage commercials about, like, Arthur. Yeah. Which aren't garbage because it's, it's Arthur. Arthur. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked all those examples because my examples were all going to be just like case studies of climate activism. Let's hear one. Okay. So <laughs> to close us out, uh, I don't, let me think I need to choose just one. I read this thing about a woman yesterday and her, it was an art project to plant an entire field of wheat in New York city. So obviously New York city infamously not a farm. Yeah. It's a city. And the images that came out of this series, because it was like her intention was to have these juxtaposing images of like a wheat field in such an urban place. And it just felt like a really interesting form of activism. And I think it encapsulates a lot of the aspects of change making that I admire. It's thinking inside the box. Mm -hmm. It's like those people in... Paris and in France who will set up urban farms on green lots instead of having them become become developments like they will it's such a peaceful protest like I mean she had the right to plant the wheat like she had the land or whatever yeah but it's like it's not like violent and it's really just making things nicer like planting a community garden just is nicer or having a little housing development of like eco-communities is nicer than one of the huge sky rises or whatever. Sure. Um, so it's just like the creativity, the peacefulness, and the beauty of it. We're all just, we're all there. And I loved the images that came out of it. And I think it's a very staying image that could be used. It's like the Earthrise image. Just like really evocative, yet not violent. Because like if you see people burning like oil rigs or whatever, like that's evocative, but it's yeah. like, doesn't make you feel nice it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily make you want to like make change mm -hmm. but these beautiful sustainable tactile images and projects that people undertake really do it reminds me a little bit of um is it gorilla flowering yeah it's like when people <laughs> just throw seeds in different places i guess that's kind of bringing it back to jesus as well there's nobody says like seeds in the in the cracks of the rocks mm -hmm. so you yeah. can kind of do that but like on the sly yeah gorilla gardening that's one of my favorite things gorilla to gardening. see because it's just what, so do you, have you ever seen it i haven't seen it around montreal but just whenever <laughs> i've seen it on the internet people just slinking around back alleys like dumping their pockets with seeds yeah <laughs> scattering really them with their shoes yeah <laughs> spitting on them <laughs> so water yeah that would be funny um i guess in this episode we've done a lot of Someone might listen and be like, oh, they're just beating around the bush. And it's not like a roadmap for how to make change. But I think yeah. that's kind of what we do on the pod. We beat around the bush. No, it's not like we beat around the bush. But um, I don't think it's it's always the most helpful to be super judgmental and very closed in conversations like this and be like, this is what you should do. 
I think it's it's almost more beneficial to just have a conversation that will provoke thoughts in the people listening and maybe make them think about their own situations and circumstances with the context of these case studies and like principles that we kind of laid out you know what i mean because again it's such a it's such a variable discussion yeah i mean there's zero research that says there's one way but yeah. there is a lot of research that says being closed-minded and thinking there's one way is the most effective way to ruin a movement <laughs> so keep that in mind if you want a more clear-cut guide effectiveactivist.com is one of my favorite places that i've returned to again and again when it comes to making any like concrete, like if you have a specific cause you want to work on. Yeah, there's that's also a, a neat website. book. There's also a neat book called Rules for Radicals. Yeah, and even like more more specific than that, just find a biography of somebody that you admire and copy their lives one to one. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week with a new semester. <laughs>